Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. have the pleasure of doing something a little bit different um, this morning. Uh, normally we exposit scriptures here and we've taken a break from the Gospel of Mark and for the last couple of weeks. And, and of course this morning, uh, you've been anticipating this, we are going to address a, a pretty important topic that is, is being assaulted today, and that is the doctrine of conversion. Today's title of the sermon is A Worldly Assault on the Biblical Conversion. Let us pray. Father, we, we thank you this morning for the joy it is to worship you. There is no other name to be saved. There's no other name to share. There's no other truth that pierces hearts and converts and saves. We pray, Lord, that we see the seriousness of the persecution that's around us. Knowing, yes, maybe today that we don't feel the effect of that, but yet knowing in due time, as evil desires to have its way, it will creep into our, our city. It will affect churches around us. And the call is, is, is that are we going to be faithful? Are we going to adhere to the eternal word of God that never fades? That is always right and always good. Pray, Lord, that you will allow the Spirit to take his truth and, and be able to submit into our hearts the reasons why we stand for what we stand for. And we pray for our fellow brethren who ascend into their pulpits, knowing that there's consequences for standing for what is right and what is true. And so prepare our hearts, Father, as we desire to, to honor you and desire to not waver. We love you. And we thank you. We ask that you be with your shepherd. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As many of you have most likely heard, there is an effect today, a new bill in Canada that criminalizes biblical truth. It's a bill that assaults the word of God and the people of God. It calls the Bible a myth and tries to strip away the power to convert a sinner. It puts culture above God's word. It calls evil good and good evil. 
The bill is called C4. The preamble I want to put before you up on the screen, and you can see a little bit about what this bill has all about. The preamble states this, whereas conversion therapy causes harm to society, because among other things, it is based on and propagates myths and stereotypes about sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to a person at birth are to be preferred over other sexual orientations, gender identities, and gender expressions, end quote. In other words, a little bit of understanding of what this is all about. The idea of presenting truth that you have been created by a holy God at birth with an assigned gender is a myth according to this law. It promotes stereotypes. It is something that if preached about or conversed about and shared in the open community, it will be criminalized. And what they define conversion therapy as, it means to change a person's heart and mind to align itself with godly truth. For them, conversion therapy suppresses the idea that a person can be anybody they want to identify as. And to bring any type of biblical truth against someone's sexual perversion is wrong and will result in conviction. They have set out the punishment in two categories, trying to put some teeth to this law. The first category, if, if everyone who knowingly causes another person to undergo conversion therapy, in other words, sharing biblical truth about gender identity, that is, when you share Jesus with somebody and the Lord saves them, and they convert to biblical understanding of sexuality in a godly way, you are guilty of this law. And such offense carries an imprisonment for a term of not more than five years. The second category of punishment finds that a person who not only promotes or advertises conversion therapy is guilty of this law. In other words, if you preach truth, if you have a class about the biblical role of man and woman, when you have an understanding of, of, of the beauty that, that God promotes when it comes to husband and wife, it means that such teaching on gender, and for that matter, even sexual immorality, is guilty of imprisonment for a term of not more than two years. The bill, by the way, passed Parliament in Canada without a dissenting vote. It passed unanimously without any dissenting vote. And this morning, men across Canada are stepping into their pulpits to lift high the authority of the Word of God. And guess what? We'll be in violation of this new law. They understand the consequences and do so knowing the repercussions. 
And beloved, we stand with them. The heart of, of love and concern with prayer and with a desire for them to do what is right in the face of such oppression. But that's not all. Too often we think that we have such a tight border around America that, that surely this won't infiltrate America. I'm reminded of laws that are even on the books in California that talks about this as being hate speech. They haven't put much bite to it, but it's there. I'm mindful even in, in the month of December this year, last year, excuse me, um, I received an email from a, a godly friend who alerted me to a bill that was passed in the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C. That on December 14, 2021, the House passed legislation to combat Islamophobia. Of course, submitted by a Muslim, Representative Omar from the Democratic, I say Democratic state of Minnesota. The House passed the bill, 219 to 212, with no Repo Republicans voting in favor. Of course, the idea of this bill is to criminalize anybody that promotes Christianity or anything outside of Islamic truth. Now, I'm not sure where this bill stands in the Senate, but I think it should give us great concern that this stuff is knocking on our doors. Now think with me on this. The Christian's desire, the call of the church is to have everybody hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. The effects of the gospel is to convert sinners to be saved. Desire of the church is to, to bring forth the good news of the gospel so that lives are changed and what is thought as, as maybe normal or culturally right in the sight of God is wrong and sinful. And it's only the gospel truth that will convert a heart. And this truth is stand in opposition. It's, it's in the crosshairs of every unbelieving heart. By the way, it's the reason why we're still here. The reason why the church is still here is so that we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ to those whom are unbelievers. You understand that, right? We get the benefit of church. We get the, the joy of fellowship. We, get, we, we understand all the things that are going on. We long for eternity. But the reason that you and I are here and the church is still here is that we share the gospel of Jesus Christ to others so that God can convert them. It is our call to convert to defend and uphold the word of God. And beloved, we don't waver and we don't crumble. We march forward with this gospel truth, desiring to have it pierce sinful hearts so that they can conform their hearts and understand that they are a sinner in need of a savior. And so we hold to an eternal word that he is inspired. And by the way, it convicts and it converts sinners to salvation. Of course, through the the loving work and redemption of the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, what these two bills are calling for is, is to disarm Christians with the gospel truth. Do you see it? 
what they want you to do is they, they want the church and the word of God to be put at bay so that the perversion of lifestyles can be lived in such a way in such ungodliness that nobody will bother them. So much so that they're going to imprison you if you try to share the gospel and convert somebody. When you show them light and desire them to come out of darkness because of the hope that's in Jesus Christ. By the way, as we saw in Peter, this assault shouldn't, shouldn't surprise us. We know that the world is going to, to suppress the truth of unrighteousness, right? We live in a Romans 1 type of society. If you know what I'm talking about here, where, where unrighteous men and women suppress the truth of God's righteousness for the desire to live the way they want to. And it's not good enough for the church to be over here and for the world to be over here and each doing their own thing. They know what is right. They suppress the truth. Literally that word in the Greek in verse 18 of Romans 1 means to kick back. And so what they're doing is they're kicking back, suppressing the, God's word when it comes to what is right, what is holy, and what is good. I remind you a portion of Romans 1. Up on the screen here. That defines our society. Where it says, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. God gave them over to a depraved mind. To do things which are not proper. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And they know the ordinance of God. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Suppression of truth. A litany of sin unleashed. And I think what's interesting to me is that the end of verse 32, I don't know if you caught that, and if it's still up there, uh, Clover, why don't you keep put up there that passage again. But Paul says at the end of verse 32, he says that not only do they, 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 they desire to suppress the truth and their unrighteousness, but there are others who give hearty approval of such sinful acts. And such is the case in Canada, such is the case in America. That is why there are laws now that protect sin and sinners. That is why there's a law that promotes to protect and perverse, protect perverse lifestyles. Now, beloved, the Bible makes it very clear that any sin will be under judgment. You understand that? What he has declared righteous is always righteous. And what he has declared sinful will always be sinful, no matter what culture thinks it should do. You get that, right? It is black and it is white. It is defined and will never be moved. That's why the church is so engaged in making sure that we anchor our souls to the scriptures. Because this stuff doesn't move. It's for eternity. There's so much scripture going after the immoral 
activity of people in the pages of scriptures. What's interesting to me is that the sinner just picks his flavor and desires to promote it and desires to live in it. And what they want is that they want nobody to tell them that they are wrong. Not you, and not even God. So it shouldn't surprise us that, that this is happening. I think of the list in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that gives us a clear list of, of multiple sins of, of individuals that if engaged in a consistent, habitual manner prohibits them to inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, this is so, like you say, black and white. First Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? We understand that, right? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then Paul says, listen, there's the list. There's much sin there. And he reminds them that such were some of you. And this is what's so beautiful about the gospel of Jesus Christ that converts the, the sinner. He says, such were some of you, but you were washed. But you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the spirit of our God. Does Jesus Christ have the power to convert sin and sinners? Yeah, absolutely. He has the ability to change a heart to transform and make a person born again. The Bible's clear. You can't be in those sins and still call yourself a Christian. It's an oxymoron. They, they're not com they're compatible. Oh, and there's an onslaught on this. There's an onslaught of the world desiring for the church to accept at least some of these things, some of these sins. The effort is to try to soften the, the doctrine and, and, and try to soften the truth in such a way that, that allows people to still to have their sin and still yet have the goodness of Christianity in Christ. But what I love about 1 Corinthians 6 is that Paul brings forth this doctrine of conversion. He looks at their past and said that, you know what, you were engaged in some of these sins. But now you have been sanctified and you've been washed by the truth of the gospel. He tells them that you were converted from a perverse lifestyle, from being a thief, from being a drunkard, from being effeminate. The list is all there. Having been justified. Probably no better doctrine for the Christian to wash themselves with is to understand the doctrine of being justified in Christ Jesus. You talk about the guilt of your sin being washed away because of the justification of the righteousness of Jesus in your life. You talk about the joy that is to be able to receive grace and forgiveness. I mean, that's, that's, that's Jesus. And to be washed means to be cleansed. 
where it, it talks about where Christ is, is not only the justifier, but he is also the reconciler who brings a sinner to a holy God. And he mentions this, this process of sanctifying work in Christ, that, that the sinner is continuing to be processed through this grace and this mercy to come out the other side where, where eventually in glorification they will be like Christ. It's foolish. It's foolish to think that we can live in a society that accepts certain sins as that God will look the other way. Listen, this is why Jesus went to the cross. He died for sin, and he died for sinners. And he took the wrath of God upon himself in order for the one who repents and believes in Christ will be saved. It's not a matter of if they're saved, that they will be saved. And what's often missed in the midst of all of this, in the midst of sinners going after their sin, is that they're not reminded of the beauty and the design that God has graciously given when it comes to creation. You think about Genesis chapter 1 and all that God has said. And when he created man and woman, he, he, he said that this is very good. This is, this is an assault against the authority of God's word. When God says this is, this is good and acceptable and, and, and rejoice in that. To see the beauty in that. It's much like putting diesel in, in an unleaded car. You know, it's one of those things where it won't function well. But yet when we pursue righteousness and the biblical understanding of what it means to walk in the genders that God has created, there is a beautiful thing about it. And we need to remind ourselves that we've been created in the image of God that you have been beautifully and wonderfully made by him, and that there's great joy in living out the gender that, that he has given you, that there's a joy of, of understanding that the Savior has created me in such a way as to glorify him in, in, in the gender that you have. And so when we see the beauty of God's creation, instead of trying to pervert it, when we rest in his goodness and understand that his ways are always good, it is only then when we will submit to his divine authority in our lives and it is only then that you experience the divine goodness of God in your life. Do you get that? When we rest in his truth, instead of wrestling against it and trying to be something, someone else, or, or desiring the, the, the perversion of our own sin in our own hearts, it's only then when we rest in that truth where, where blessing and peace and hope happens. When I think about this, so they can pass all sorts of human laws to protect deviant sins, but God's truth will always win out, beloved. And eternity is not based on man's law, remember? Eternity is based on God's holy word, on God's truth. He is the ultimate authority. There is no one above him. What he says goes. Oh, they might try to shut down the church that preaches and teaches the word of God, and we might even experience some type of persecution, but they will never silence God and his word, amen? And so what's at stake here? We see all the, 
the pitfalls and, and the attack and the assault. But what's at stake here is this doctrine of conversion. And I don't know if you've ever heard a sermon on the doctrine of conversion, but, but it's something that is assumed when we share the gospel with somebody that they will convert to its truth. But there it is, the doctrine of conversion. And I want to move there and kind of take the rest of our time to kind of unfold this a little bit. And of course, we're just scraping the top of all this. There much can be said. And by the way, in the bookstore, there's a, there's a book um, on biblical manhood and womanhood by Wayne Grudem, John Piper. It's a great book to understand the design that God has desired for you. It does a great job in, in a detailed way. How many copies of that, Dave, do we have? Two. Only two? More, more's coming? Okay. I want you to encourage you to pick up that book. More is on its way. But I want you to see why you need to understand this doctrine and hold on to it. Why conversion is at the heart of Christ and at the heart of Christianity. And why we must not be silent about it. You think about the very first act of regeneration of a sinner is this idea of being converted. Where now your mind has been transformed from what it used to think to what is godly and what is holy and what is true. Conversion is, is, a, is a conscious decision to repent of sin and believe in Christ for salvation. And when you think about conversion, it's God shining a light and truth and awaking a dead man, a sinner's heart, where God opens man's spiritual eyes so that he can see the bankruptcy of his life in his sin. And he needs to see the worthiness of Christ and why he is the Redeemer and Savior and Lord. I love what Paul does in, in Acts chapter 26 in explaining his conversion to Christ, to King Agrippa. This is more or less a defense, but he, he lays it out for us, starting in verse 15 of Acts 26. And he says, and I said to you, and I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up <coughs> and stand on your feet. For this purpose, I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the, and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. I mean, Paul understands where he once was. And when we look at the conversion of Paul, it is just a divine hand of God that intercedes in his life, that strips him of his, his Pharisaicalism and his Judaism and, and brings him into the, the, the family of God and brings him for a purpose to convert Gentiles to the, to the gospel. For that matter, even Jews. And so this conversion to Christ who is, by the way, perfectly suited to forgive you of all your sins, right? There is no sin greater than the grace and the mercy of Jesus. This Jesus who is able to provide you the righteousness we need for eternal life. That's the power of why we share the gospel, is to take a dead man, make them alive, and have them converted to, to light, to truth, to understanding, to be converted to Christ. 
So not only is he the object of our worship, but he's the object of our conversion. We proclaim Jesus Christ dead, crucified, resurrected, ascended. And in light of that, conversion is the total change in one's direction in life. It's a change in their moral orientation. It calls evil, evil, and it calls good, good. It understands these things. I think you can understand that. You look about your past sinful life, and and when Christ entered your soul, you understand the dynamic that's happened there. I've often told you, uh, running into, and I'll never forget this, Mr. Poulton, sixth grade teacher back in in Boise, Idaho, and, and he asked me, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm a preacher. He says, oh, Lord, there, there is a Lord. <laughs> he understood my past life, and, and yet he also understood, because he is a believer, and I couldn't wait to have this interaction with him, to let him know that Christ redeemed my soul. And he understands that conversion, that Jesus Christ is the only way that that's going to happen, and so do you and I. For Christians, this means, this conversion, this means a change from an orientation that does not take God into account to one in which the person is submitted to the authority of Jesus Christ. That's why we say Jesus is Lord. That's why we say Jesus is my Lord. Conversion is the process of which repentance is the entrance and faith is the new direction. The two-sided aspect of what's happening here where you recognize your sin and you turn to the one who can forgive you. And so thus, it's a total reset of the mind. It's a total reorientation of, of what you know, what is right and what is good and what is true. And it ends up with a total allegiance to God. I think of James chapter 5, where James reminds us, where he says, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth, and one turns him back. That's talking about conversion there. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 3, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not that you bring your ideology and, and your, your, your ideas into the kingdom of God. God has it already established. And we submit to that because we know that his ways are always good. His ways are always holy. His ways are always true. To put it very simply, to be converted, Jesus says it's absolutely necessary for you to enter the kingdom of heaven. God doesn't want the old bear. God wants the new bear in Christ. And the same with you. Conversion is a dramatic turning away from one path in order to pursue an entirety new one in Christ Jesus. It involves attorneys went back on, on the world and the, and the worldly system. And it's anti-God values in turning our heart towards truth. It involves a turning away from, from a dead religion to a Christ's righteousness. 
I mean, it involves a complete turnabout. Conversion also involves the idea of changing direction. That's, of course, associated with repentance. A true spiritual conversion radically alters the directions of one's life. By the way, it's not just a partial change. It's not you and your pet sins that come to Christ. It is only you coming out of your sin and fully embracing Jesus. When you think about conversion, it's not a gradual change that occurs over a period of time like sanctification. Conversion is an act instantly done where the sinner understands by the grace of God this idea that I need to be saved and to receive grace and to receive mercy. Conversion is is a break with the old patterns of sin in the world and embracing the new life in Christ by faith. I mean, this is why this is so valuable and why we need to to get our antennas up and we understand exactly what's going on. This spiritual conversion is so profound that it involves many changes in a person's way of thinking. It involves a change of mind. It it involves a change of view. It involves a a new recognition of of God, of, uh, of Christ and his truth. It involves a change of affections, which is often emotional change, a change of feeling, exchanging it for the feeling of truth, the experience of truth. The entire person, mind, and affections, and will is radically and completely and fully changed by the gospel, and this is what happens in conversion. And so here you have this doctrine that is assumed when we share the gospel, but I wanted you to see that the importance of it. You think about regeneration, and it's God's sovereign act by the Holy Spirit in the soul for one to be able to be converted. I mean, regeneration is the implantation of, of new life in the soul. Regeneration gives the gifts of repentance and faith in which conversion can happen. I like what D. Martin Lowe Jones said, the British pastor of old. And I quote him by saying, Conversion is the first exercise of the new nature. In ceasing from old forms of life and starting a new life, it is the first action of regeneration of the regenerate soul in moving from something to something. You get that, right? And because there's a graciousness in the call of God, conversion happens. You understand what the gospel is doing? The gospel not only changes the person's mind, but the whole purpose of the gospel is to bring men and women into a right relationship with the holy God. This is why Christ came. This is why he came and died and resurrected. 2 Corinthians 5.19 tells us, In Christ, he is reconciling the world unto himself. And conversion is the crying need of every soul outside of him. Until one's life is turned from sin to Christ, nothing else matters. Do you understand that? 
Why? Because eternity is at stake. We can't go along thinking that, you know what, you go ahead and live your life, and I'll go ahead and live my life, and, and hopefully we'll end up the same place. You and I both know that, that that is so foolish to think. If you're outside of Christ, you will not end up in heaven. You understand that? This doctrine of conversion is so imperative to the church. No wonder men ascended to their pulpits in Canada today knowing that an imprisonment is going to await them. Because they understand the importance of what the gospel brings to a sinful world, a sinful nation. Let me say it this way. For the church to abandon conversion and the call for a sinner to repent and believe in Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, it no longer exists to be a church. That church becomes lifeless, without any hope, and without any Savior. And so like I said, you can see why godly men are, are defying and stepping into their pulpits to define man's evil law. And we do the same. We stand here every Sunday desirous to show you the gospel, to, to delight in Jesus Christ so that you can be converted and to receive the grace and mercy in Jesus. The call to convert is to lay down your sin and to embrace Christ. And that's a, that's a daily call for, for our unbelieving friends. That's our desire for them. And like Paul has said, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, they must be converted. They must come to Christ. I mean, this is what's at stake. This is, this is the law that says, you know what, let sinners be. And yet the church holds the, the, the truth of the gospel to go rescue a soul, knowing that he is the one who does it. Like I read out of Peter, don't be, don't be shocked when you read the news tomorrow. Men being arrested, defying a law. I think for us here in America, in this church specifically, we can pray for them. We can encourage them, maybe with any ounce of, of opportunities to send letters and cards and encourage them in the faith. Pray for the church, because guess what? The next man's up. If one gets stripped away, the church is going to define the next man up, and, and he's going to preach the word of God, and guess what? His soul, his body, arrested for truth. And so may we pray for the glory of the Lord to reign. That such evil law can be used for the glory of God where people see the truth and are converted. Amen? An exhortation to stand firm 
an exhortation to, to understand the importance of the doctrine of conversion, understanding what's at stake for the church. And by the way, like you say, it's knocking on our doors. Will we be a church that stands? And I tell you, yes, we will be a church that stands on the authority and the truth of the Word of God. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the exhortation this morning. Do you understand that, that, that you hold the power to convert a sinful person, to give them grace, give them forgiveness, to bring them into the kingdom of light, to help them understand the beauty of what it means to, to live in the designed roles that you have given each person? A, a designed role that gives you glory, that identifies that they are image bearers of the glorious God. That they can function in such a way that, that gives you glory. Sin has its way and it desires to corrupt and it desires to tear apart that which is true, that which is holy, that which is good. And so we pray not only for our own souls, that we see the importance of continuing to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing that it's only that truth that will save a sinner to convert, to save, to redeem. And Father, we also pray for our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ who, who attend a service this morning and, and wondering, is their pastor going now to be arrested? And, and what does that look like for, for the nature of the church? But the beauty of it is that you have called us to recognize that not to be surprised by the suffering that we'll encounter in light of the truth. And so may they embrace that. The world cannot shut your mouth. If anything, you shut their mouth. And so let us live in the power and the joy of the gospel. May it be on our lips as we go about life. May we bring it with compassion and with love and gentleness, with a desire for the sinner to see that they need saving. Continue to have your, your will be done. Your glory manifest. And so we hold on to this truth of this doctrine that has the power to save. We pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ who has saved us, who has converted us. We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash 
MV Bible.